Hello, welcome to this episode of Midweek Mom Talk on 360 Talk Radio for Women. I'm Dr. Jackie, the owner of Motion Spot LLC and Motion Spot Pediatrics. Now, I've been teasing you all a little bit with what our business is doing right now, especially in Motion Spot Pediatrics. We have expanded and now include speech therapy, speech language pathology. I've recently found out that those two are interchangeable. And I have with me today the director of our speech department, Deanna. Hi, I'm Deanna. Thank you for being here today. So first of all, we're just going to jump right into it. I think the people want to know, and I didn't even realize this myself until more recently when we started talking more and working together. Can you first just tell us what is speech therapy? What do you do? And things like that. Well, speech therapy is also called speech language therapy, speech language pathology. And there's two different parts there. There's speech, what everyone um, probably knows. It's helping kids correct their sounds, how they produce certain speech sounds. A lot of kids have trouble with the S sound, the R sound. There's other sounds that are not as common. Some maybe can't say the F sound or the TH sound and so on. So that part is speech. There's also speech for helping kids with their fluency, with um, like stuttering, as many of you may know how it's called. And that falls under the speech part. Now for language, that gets um, more complicated. So I'll go a little bit in depth there. Language is split up into a few parts. The two most um, basic parts are expressive language and receptive language. Expressive language is things that you say. What I'm doing right now, I'm expressing myself. And then there's receptive language and that's what you understand. When somebody tells you a direction and you follow the direction or when somebody um, reads you a story and then sees if you understand what the story is about, that's receptive language. There's also pragmatic language. Now I'm going to a whole other realm here, but that's social language. So that's understanding how to act with others, how to talk to other people, how to have friends and so on. So how to behave in social settings, kind of like that? Yes, like how to play a board game, how to engage with kids with on the playground, how to act in the classroom versus how to act in a store. Cool, very interesting. So what brought you to the world of speech-language pathology? Well, this was so many years ago, I don't even remember now. (laughs) Just kidding. Um, um, So what brought me into the speech-language pathology world is I always liked working with kids. When I was younger, like in high school, I was a camp counselor. I was a swim instructor. I babysat a lot. So I always knew I liked going into the field of pediatrics, and I liked it to be more than just a teacher working in the classroom, but I liked the one-on-one attention that I would be able to provide for each child. And I found, or I observed somebody, I observed a speech therapist, and I really liked it. And then I just decided to pursue that field. And that's why I'm here today. Great. Well, we're, we're happy that you decided to go that route so that you could be here with us today and that we could be working together and growing this branch of Motion Spot. So the next thing I want to ask you, if you could share with our listeners, as you, I hope anyway, know, this show is for women. We're on 360 Talk Radio for Women, and my show specifically, Midweek Mom Talk, is for mothers. So I presume that most listeners are moms, meaning they have children at home. So what can moms do in the home or just every day with their kids to help promote language or or speech development? Is there something, you know, for different age groups or is there kind of a more general 
set of direction that they could follow or what kind of advice would you give our moms? The number one um, piece of advice I would give is to talk. Always talk to your baby no matter what it is that you're doing. If you're cooking in the kitchen, you can, and your baby is um, old enough to hang out with you, or even if he's just sitting in the high chair next to you, you could just talk. You know, if you're making eggs, say, oh, look, I'm getting the eggs out of the fridge. I'm putting the eggs in the bowl. Let's mix the eggs. Mix, mix, mix. Now let's fry it on the stove. Fry, fry, fry. Just talk. So pretty much narrate your life, um, exactly what it is that you're doing, even if your baby doesn't seem to be responding, he or she is listening and they're absorbing all of that information. When you're playing with your baby, you can label a lot of toys and not even just like by labeling and pointing to it, but take the toy, like let's say take a ball and put it next to your face, next to your mouth, so they see how you say it. So when you hold up a ball next to your mouth, and you can say ball, and they see how your lips are moving to make the noise that, or the word that makes ball. Um, you can also read books to your babies, to your kids. For little kids, there's a lot of great board books and kids or babies, toddlers, they have no idea what the words are on the page. So you can make up your own story every single time and make it a brand new book. Or if, you don't, if you're not a great storyteller, just label what's on the page. Say, oh, there's a sun, there's a ball, there's a girl, there's a dog, a cat. Oh, look, this is a purple shape. Here's a purple circle. There's a red triangle and so on. So moral of the story, pretty much talk, talk, talk even if no one's listening. <laughs> because somebody is listening, like you just said. So even if they're not responding, whether they're maybe not old enough or, or whatever, that they are still listening. It actually reminds me of when my parents give me any sort of advice and they think that I'm not listening because maybe I'll like roll my eyes or just like nod and say, yeah, yeah, you know, whatever. But then however many weeks later, I end up doing the thing that they told me to do and then they're like, oh, so you were listening, right? So it's kind of like that. They are listening, even if they might not seem to be in the moment. And I like also what you said, Deanna, about labeling things. We'll see a lot of parents that we work with, they'll say, you know, oh, I'm hanging out with my child and they're like pointing to what they want. So I'll point to what I think they want and say, oh, this, you want this? And then they'll say no. And then you'll point to something else. Oh, you want this, this? And everything is just this, this, this. So... Instead of saying this, 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 you should specifically identify, right? That's what you're saying. Label. So label, right? So if your child is pointing to, you know, up on the counter and there are five different things on the counter, instead of calling this to each of those things, you say like, oh, you want the, the juice? And then they say yes or no. If they say no, you go to the next thing like, oh, you want the cup? Right? Stuff like that by label. Yes, you could label, oh, do you want juice? Do you want milk? But also, instead of just having them say yes, no, then have them repeat what it is. You want milk? Oh, you know, say milk mm -hmm. instead of just yes or no. Yes or no is great, but even add to it. Yes, want milk. No, no milk. <laughs> got it, got it. Okay, great. So, okay, what we've talked about, we've identified what is speech therapy, what's the difference between speech and language, We've talked a little bit about how you can help your children with their speech and language development. And now the next thing I think people are, are probably curious about, what are some yellow or red flags? What should parents look out for with their children to see if perhaps a speech language evaluation or referral might be necessary or if speech services might be helpful for their child? So this is a tough question since every child does develop at their own pace and some might just be a little bit slower than others but may not qualify for speech but it's just slowly developing. Maybe they're working more on their physical milestones instead. But definite red flags would be if you're telling your child, like even like a one and a half year old, a, a simple direction, like, you know, go find your shoes or find the ball. And they're not understanding that. 
I would definitely start being concerned there if, if they're not responding to their name. Okay, sorry, one second. Let's just backtrack to the first one that you said. So if they are not responding to that task, right? You said, you know, well, go find your shoes or go get your shoes. So if they're not doing that, how do you know, oh, they're not understanding the task, they're not understanding what I'm telling them versus maybe it's just like a behavioral thing. They're, you know, ignoring you or something like that. Well, it definitely can be a behavioral thing, but usually if it's a behavioral thing, they will still do it at some point. If not today, then maybe tomorrow. But if they're really just not understanding it, it's consistent. It's across the board. They um, just won't do what you're asking them to do and may not even know how, may not look at your direction and so on. Okay, so something that is, I guess we could call that like task avoidance. So that would be the behavioral, they're kind of ignoring you. They're, you know, not listening to the task that you're asking them to do right now, but maybe the next task they'll do or, you know, today they won't get their shoes like you asked, but tomorrow they will. Whereas if you ask them various tasks throughout the day and they're really not taking part in any of those tasks, any of those activities, then it's more likely that there could be a problem with their language understanding what you're telling them. Is that receptive language? That's what you would call that? Yes, that's receptive language. It's what they're understanding. Then red flags for expressive language would be just not not babbling when they're under one years old by one years old not saying a handful of words like many kids would start saying mama dada papa around that age and like a few words is fine like a handful um but they you should notice that their words get more and more like they start producing more and more words as they get older little by little um then by one and a half two years old they should already have a good amount of words around like two years old they should start putting words together like two words like you know want mama or want more or more milk Um, if they're not doing that just yet it might be that they're slightly delayed okay so um something that i actually just thought of i don't know if you can answer this or not if this is in your your domain if it's part of speech language development but i remember when my son was I think 18 months or so, and the pediatrician asked how many words he's saying, and I counted a few, and I said, like, oh, well, you know, he doesn't say it the right way for everything. I can't remember a specific example, but let's say, you know, instead of car, he said, ra, and then just, like, every time he said ra, that was what he called it. I'm making this up. But that was his word for a car, and I knew that every time he said that, he said car, and, like, he was saying it appropriately. Like, we were going to the car, he would say you know, raw or whatever, is that then you can count that as a word, even if it's the wrong word, but they are consistently labeling an item in that way. Does that count towards their number of words? Yes, for sure. A lot of toddlers do like to make up funny words for things and it's consistent. And as long as it's consistent, it does count as a word. So for sure, I would count raw as <laughs> as a word. Um, but that the pronunciation of it is now part of the speech part of of speech language therapy so that goes right into the next thing around two years old your toddler might only be maybe 30 percent 50 percent intelligible to you and to others but as they get older the amount of intelligibility should increase and around four years old they really should be like a hundred percent intelligible to everybody around them so if you're definitely noticing that your child has a lot of mispronunciations and or doesn't say the doesn't say some specific sounds or mixes sounds up like says one sound instead of another like for example if they say for cat they will say tat um or for red they would say wed So that's just a few examples of some mispronunciations. If there's a lot of mispronunciations, that's when I also would be concerned and take your child to get an evaluation to see if they would need help with 
correcting the way they produce certain sounds. But you also have to keep in mind, some sounds are produced and expected to be correctly produced earlier than other sounds. So if your three-year-old can't say the R sound, that's okay. But if he still can't say it by the time he or she is six, then that would be more of a problem. But on the other hand, if your three-year-old can't say the K sound or the F sound, that would be definitely more concerning at that age. Now, you also need to keep in mind that some sounds are just mispronunciations, like for S, that's a common sound. A lot of times it's called a lisp if you can't say it. That's just a pretty much a mispronunciation of the lisp of the S sound. Other sounds are substitutions. You say one sound instead of another. When you, ha- you have a substitution, then it gets more tricky because it uh, greatly reduces the intelligibility of that word and you might not understand what your child is saying because he's using a whole new sound than the sound that's supposed to be there. I think, in my opinion, the perfect age to start speech therapy specifically for sounds would be around four or five years old when they're mature enough to understand what to do to follow directions of how to produce the sounds. But again, if you're they're under four years old and they just you can't understand anything they're saying, then definitely start speech therapy earlier. Thank you. That was a lot of advice. I think that was very helpful. I learned some things myself listening to this. If you, by the way, are interested in seeing a visual of what Deanna just talked about, about the pronunciation of letters, the age that certain letters and sounds should come. We actually have a post about this on our Instagram page. That's Motion Spot Pediatrics. So you can check that post out there. Motion Spot Pediatrics. That's on Instagram. M-O-T-I-O-N-S-P-O-T-P-E-D-I-A-T-R-I-C-S. You can find a few other things on there as well. We post about various speech and OT related topics. And Deanna's actually made a few posts and reels for us about how to help your child to produce different sounds. So she shares a lot of her tips on our page. Highly recommend you check that out for more information about these things. So in case anyone is wondering, Deanna, because perhaps they've been listening to our show, so they kind of are more familiar with our practice and feel more comfortable after especially hearing your insights if they wanted to speak with you is it okay if i give everyone your email sure that's fine okay so you can reach out to deanna at the email address is deanna at motionspotllc.com and the spelling of that is d e a n n a at M-O-T-I-O-N-S-P-O-T-L-L-C.com. And if you wanted to work with Deanna or have your child work with Deanna, perhaps virtually, Deanna is available for virtual consultations and speech language coaching. So you're welcome to reach out to her again, either via email, Deanna at motionspotllc.com, or you can send us a message on Instagram, motionspotpediatrics, or you can call or text us at 908-333-8921. Thank you so much for being here with us today, Deanna. I know people have been wanting to hear from a speech language pathologist and I definitely learned a lot and I'm sure our listeners did as well. Uh, No problem. I enjoyed being here. Thank you for having me. Thank you. I'm so glad we were finally able to have Deanna on our show telling us all about speech therapy and language therapy and the difference between both. Since starting to work with Deanna, I've actually included more speech-related 
content, I suppose, in my therapy practices with the kids that we work with. So I guess certain things I was kind of doing before, but not with specific purpose of, okay, I'm helping develop language or speech. But now I do it more consciously. So I make sure that I'm labeling things that my kids are doing or objects that we're using. I'll be sure to add that label and I ask more questions to my students now during our sessions you know not just get the ball but oh you got the ball you know what color is it and they'll tell me oh it's pink and they get so excited to answer these questions so I'm not you know I'm not a speech therapist I'm not a language therapist but I am able to incorporate these things so that's kind of how speech and OT can work together and can help each other when we have a case that is uh, um, you know, we're working together on a particular case or both of us have a, a sim- same student, we can make sure to incorporate one another's practices to help that student reach their goals in speech or OT. So for me, yes, I'm primarily working on occupational therapy related goals. But if I know that this student is receiving speech with Deanna and Deanna's working on language, then I can be sure to try to incorporate some of her language techniques in my sessions. And same with Deanna. If she has a student who I am seeing as well, then, you know, she might incorporate certain practices from my sessions into that student session. So that's the very nice thing about working with multiple providers and providers who have different backgrounds, different licenses, and, you know, being able to help one student, but from multiple different angles, right? So that's, I think, been really great and helpful for me, you know, it's able, it's, it gives me the ability to improve my skills and just help my students in a better way, in a, in a more well-rounded way, I should say. Speaking of working with my students, I mentioned that I was going to go back to work for the first time in a very long time, and uh, back to work as in seeing some clients in person, one-on-one. I don't think I've done that in a good two years. I've had you know, like sporadically I've gone in and done some mommy and me's also, but this was the first time in a while that I went into my, I guess, place of work and saw a full caseload of clients. I definitely have not done that since like November 2020, since before I had my baby, my first baby. So this is how it went, going back to work in person with two kids at home. So I was definitely nervous the night before, just thinking, you know, how is it going to go? And the main issue as far as the mornings go is that we could have, you know, a solid routine that we're supposed to do every morning. But with a toddler and an infant, there is just no way to predict if they're going to be on their usual routine or if they're going to be a little bit different. And of course, on this day, my first day that I had to go in to see a full caseload, there was a change in the routine. My daughter ended up sleeping later, which is not a terrible problem to have, but she usually wakes up like for the day around seven and that morning she ended up continuing to sleep so the issue with that was that I wasn't able to feed her as early as I normally would but I still wanted to feed her before I left so I ended up having to feed her and then pump the other side while she was eating so I used a haka that like silicone um attachment pump thing so I ended up being about 15 minutes later than I wanted as far as leaving the house goes because I also still had to drop my son off at daycare. The benefit of the day I chose to go in was that it was a Thursday and my husband works from home on Thursdays so at least he was able to sort of help get my son ready but even you know by 8 30 he has to start working so it's not like he can be full 
hands-on helping me. I had my mom come to watch my baby while I was away, and she came actually perfectly on time, so that was not such an issue. It is still stressful, you know, even having my mom come over to help my baby because it's not like, you know, she just comes in and I can leave. Like, I have to set everything up and explain, you know, what's what and what's where, and she wants to make sure she knows everything. So that's understandable, but it does take, you know, some time. So I ended up making sure to have, like, two very full bottles of milk prepared. I put extra clothes in places, and I just tried my best to have everything set and easily accessible so she wouldn't even have to go upstairs or anything like that it would all be in the same place so I ended up being 15 minutes later than I wanted I ended up dropping my son off around his normal time maybe like a couple minutes later than usual but around his normal time and then I got to the school to see my kids I don't know maybe like five ten minutes later but what ended up being kind of good for me is that since it's my practice and I'm working in a school with these kids, like no one's really on top of me, you know, like the school isn't in charge of me and I don't have a boss there. Like I am in charge of myself. So I try to stay on the schedule that the therapist had that I was covering for. Oh, that's why I went in. I don't know if I mentioned that before, but I went in because one of my providers that I hired wasn't feeling well. So she told me that she was going to be out for a couple days. And so I decided to take one of the days that I was able to when I had enough notice to, you know, ask my mom to come watch the baby. So I ended up going in to cover those cases so that those kids still were seen at least once for OT that week. So forgot to say that earlier. So I was trying to stay to her schedule as best I could, but if I had to change some things around, you know, like, it was okay. If the teacher told me that I couldn't take a kid at a certain time, if it was not their usual time, then it was really not such a big deal, you know? Like, I saw as many as I could and did the best that I could with the time constraint that I had. So it ended up working out, and it was actually very fun. I enjoyed it a lot. What I loved and I think what I was nervous about was that I would go in and feel that like I'm stuck kind of feeling like I used to get but then being there I realized that like oh wait a minute this is actually really fun I can kind of go in whenever I want I don't have to go in all the time if I don't want to and it was great like I I don't know I really enjoyed it and it also made me like appreciate my business more which sounds kind of silly but when I'm just doing like all the back end kind of stuff it it's stressful but it's also like I'm not seeing the results I guess of everything I'm doing I'm just sending emails and making phone calls and doing all of those things that are a big headache but I'm not actually seeing the kids that were helping I'm not you know getting to observe their smiles if I don't know that sounds corny but that's that's the truth. So here I was able to go in and work with them and see them and, you know, hear them laugh and play. And it's just great knowing that we're seeing these kids and we're helping them and helping their families. And they were all amazing kids. Like it was just a very good day. So I was very happy to be there. It wasn't even a very long day. It was really like, you know, I was in, I was there for a few hours. I left. Once I got home, though, I still had to do all of the back-end work that I usually would be doing, but now, in addition to that, I had to also do the notes for the kids that I saw, so I ended up having basically, like, triple the work that day, and for the work that I usually do, that back-end work, I was now a few hours behind in the day because I saw kids in the morning, so that was definitely stressful, and it ended up being, like, a very, very, very full day of work, like from the morning I woke up, the minute, I mean, see, I'm still, like, the coffee hasn't hit yet, from the moment I woke up until maybe 9 p.m.-ish, I was essentially working, first as a mom, doing my mom and stay-at-home mom responsibilities, then as an occupational therapy provider, seeing the kids that I had to see, then I got got home, and then I was a stay-at-home mom again with business owner responsibilities, and then when the kids went to sleep, then I wrote my notes. So it was a lot, but I still definitely enjoyed it. And so much so that the next week I went back 
twice, actually. I had two days that I had to go in. One of them was, again, for a, a full day of cases, and we ended up seeing, I think it was four new students that, that day, so that actually was a very long day. I was there from something like 10 or 10.30 until 2.30, so it was a lot longer than the day before, and I was for sure exhausted. And again, when I got home, then I had to take care of the baby and do my notes plus do the back end things so that was definitely hard and I for sure cannot run the business on the back end and see clients myself all the time like I definitely cannot do that I would burn out pretty quickly and there just isn't enough time in the day even so just going in like every now and then either to cover for my therapists or maybe just take on one or two kind of individual cases I think is what I'm going to end up just sticking with more long term instead of taking on like a full caseload for myself and then on Thursday I went in to just do an evaluation so that was pretty simple it was just the one student and it was fine so I think that's probably what I'm going to do I just got another student for OT at a different school so I think instead of having my provider go from place to place I'm just going to take that single case by myself so if you are a stay-at-home mom and you're thinking you might want to go back to work but you're not sure here is my advice start with asking yourself a few questions do you genuinely enjoy the work you would be doing not the money you'd receive but the actual work do you feel like you're going all stir crazy, being home all day, every day? Will going to work make you feel excited and proud of yourself? If you said yes to these three questions, then perhaps going back to work is something you should try. But if you said no to even one, then going to work right now probably is not what's best for you and your family at the moment. I'm going to try to explain a bit more. I truly love what I do as an occupational therapist and am so proud to have my private practice. So the work I'm doing is not the problem. But in the past, since becoming a mom at least, the thought of leaving to go to work I would actually dread. Even teaching at night, I'm an adjunct professor. Even that those night teachings I do at home from my home office, right? But even that sometimes I wouldn't look forward to. I wouldn't get excited for it, even though I enjoyed doing it, which was how I knew I had to stop when I was pregnant because it was just going to add to the stress. There came a point where I was teaching because it was a good paycheck and not because it made me excited. And I know that can be hard to, you know, justify not working because it doesn't make you excited. But if you're a stay-at-home mom, then I'm assuming that you have the option of either working or not working. So that's the population, I guess, that I'm speaking to right now. If you are a stay-at-home mom and you have the option of whether or not you want to go to work, just wanted to make sure that that was clear. So why did I go to work now? I've basically been a stay-at-home mom since the end of November 2020 and quietly growing my business simultaneously. And now, some three years later, I am feeling like I need kind of a break from my daily routine. I am with at least one of my kids all day, every single day. When I was a mom of one, my husband taking care of the baby meant I could be baby-free. But with two kids, for the most part, we tend to keep a one-to-one -one ratio when we're both home. So while I love being home with my baby during the day and then adding the toddler silliness to the mix at the end of the day, it's a completely different level of exhaustion than going to work. You can't clock out. You can't 
leave your work at the office when you're a mom and when you're a stay-at-home mom. You're always at the office. So going to work meant having that break to do something that I'm proud of and enjoy. And it also made me feel really powerful. It's a completely different feeling than leaving the baby to go do something self-care related. I left my baby to, you know, get my nails done and stuff like that. But leaving to go to work, I didn't have any guilt associated with it like I do sometimes with the self-care stuff. I didn't feel selfish for doing it. I really didn't have any second thoughts about it being a selfish act of mine. I was leaving her with somebody, plus it was with my mom, so it's not like it was a stranger or anything anyway. But I definitely felt weird, you know, initially saying, oh my gosh, I'm leaving the baby to go back to work. But ultimately, I loved it and I had a great day. That being said, I don't think it's something that I could do every single day or even all day. I, like I said, I went since then, I've gone to work like three, about three times, like three and a half, you can say. Um, I had to go once just for like one or two cases. But one of the days that I went ended up being a very full day, like all day long I was there. And the baby was home with my mom for five hours. And that was the longest that I've ever left her and the longest that I've ever left anybody with her without my being there, right? So it's kind of a two-way street where the other person who was watching her it was exhausted. So my mom was very tired from watching my baby for five hours, but also towards the end, my baby was, you know, getting kind of restless from not being with me, not, not nursing, and just not being on her more typical routine. So that leads me to the next part. If you're not sure what you want to do, stay home or go to work, which option will give you the Sunday scaries? So before, I would get the Sunday scaries thinking about a long week of work ahead. And I also know that if I had to go to work right now every single day, I would get the Sunday scaries about that also. But the thing is that I was starting to get the Sunday night blues, thinking about a new week starting where I am running on no sleep, hardly any time to myself to eat or shower or get work done, and having to take care of the baby by myself every single day, right? Like all week long. So that was giving me Sunday scaries, but also the thought of going to work would give me Sunday scaries if I had to go every day. So which option, if either, is going to give you Sunday scaries? And if it's both options like me, then I ask if you have a part-time option. That really is the key for me. And not even part-time from home, like maybe that would work. But for me, I really needed to get out of the house for a few hours, do something productive that I love, that I feel proud and powerful doing, that's not going to be in the house. So for me, that really is the key, doing it part-time, because I hate falling into a routine that makes me feel stuck. Doing the same old thing every day, I get really bored, and that's when the dread kicks in. And that was always the case for me. Even when I was in grad school and I was finishing up graduate school, I remember saying to my husband, oh my gosh, I'm about to graduate. What if I hate work? What if I hate what I do? Or, you know, I just like don't enjoy the workload that I have or something like that. And that's actually part of the reason why I ended up starting my own practice so that I have a little bit more control and a little bit more freedom of when I work, where I work, and how often, things like that. Because I'm the kind of person who needs this occasional change. I need an occasional breakup of the ordinary routine. And while it might be kind of weird to say, doing that actually made me feel rejuvenated in a way because I was able to get a break from that typical routine to do something that truly, truly felt great. So the point is that if you are kind of in this rut of I'm a stay-at-home mom, I'm not ready to go back to work full-time, but maybe I want to work a little bit part-time or, you know, something, or if you're a full-time working person, 
it might be time for you to think about what you could do to change up your typical routine so that you can have that sense of rejuvenation. So perhaps a part-time option would be beneficial for you, would be helpful for you. And again, I don't even necessarily mean working from home. I know for me, I currently do work from home and it's not the same as leaving the house to go work. Again, I would not be able to work outside the house every day. I know that would give me the Sunday scaries, but being able to do it a couple days a week or even just once a week for a few hours just to change up the typical day is very great. And plus there is, you know, a financial benefit to it as well. So for me, I'm, you know, as far as childcare goes, that would be the next part of it. You would have to kind of think, you know, do crunch the numbers. If you have somebody who can stay with your baby, how much would that sitter charge versus how much you are going to make? But then again, you know, make sure that what you're doing, that you're not just going back to work for the financial component of it because then for me it's kind of like what's the point you know if you're going to work and you're only going to be making like a couple of dollars but you're going to be enjoying what you're doing are those couple of dollars worth the enjoyment for you that's what you kind of have to think about are you going and making a couple dollars and then thinking well, what's the point of going if I'm only making a couple of dollars but I'm not enjoying what I'm doing, in which case you might as well not because then you're you're going to be just thinking that you're giving your paycheck you know, to somebody to watch your baby. But if you're actually enjoying what you're doing and you still get you know, at least something financially from it, then it might be a good option because you know, happiness and being a little bit less stressed or frustrated at home how much is that worth to you right like for most people I think they would say that that's pretty priceless so just something to think about and a different way of thinking about it perhaps I mean if you have somebody who can stay with your child for free like a friend or family member I happen to have that option um then you know then you don't really have to think about the financial aspect of it but a lot of people don't have that. And that's where some people kind of get into a, well, do I go back and then just end up giving all of my paycheck to childcare? Or do I stay home? Because like financially, what's the difference? So I'm telling you, this is the difference. This is why if you choose to to go to work, whether it's part-time or, or full-time really, if you are going just for the money, you're going to burn out. You're not going to enjoy it. It's not going to give you that same rejuvenation long term. Okay, but if you're going because you're actually enjoying and you feel powerful, I'm telling you, like when I go, I just feel so powerful that I'm able to do kind of everything. That's how it feels. So if you're having something that you're truly enjoying in that way, then the financial component of it is either just, you know, an added bonus or it's really not so much of a thought one way or the other. Speaking of finances, I know this time of year right around the holiday season is often a financially stressful time thinking about, you know, presents to buy for your kids or your grandkids or your parents, cousins, friends, nieces, nephews, everybody. So while we are just on this topic, I want you to keep in mind that the cost of a gift for a child does not necessarily mean that that item is what is best for the child. So if you are somebody who likes to give things to kids that you think they'll enjoy, but you also want them to have a developmental benefit to it, the price does not always reflect on that developmental benefit. And here is an example. I have from, I think my son's first birthday, someone gifted it to us. It's this red wagon. It's like this pole wagon, but it's not a wagon that you can really put things into. It's just like this 
box, I guess, that has buttons and lights and sounds on it. And then there are like three shapes or four shapes and a couple of pieces that you can put in like a book that's shaped like a triangle, an apple that is a circular shape, and a car that is a square shape. So those are the three things. And then there are letters in each spot, like the circle that has the apple has an A on it, the book that has a triangle, there's a B in the triangle, and then the car square has a C on it. And now because it has that A, B, and C, and it has circle, triangle, square, and I'm sure for a couple of other reasons, perhaps some of the songs that are listed in the playlist, this game or this toy is packaged and advertised and marketed as a game that will help your children learn. I believe it's called like a learning wagon, laugh and learn wagon, something like that. I don't want to call out the company or anything like that. I'm not saying that every toy by that company is like this. This is just an example of one. And so my son is not interested in it, so I am going to get rid of it. And that's kind of when I came across this thing that, you know, when we first got it, he was interested in it just for the pulling. He he liked pulling it. He liked taking the pieces on and off the wagon, but like that was it. He really didn't, he didn't learn how to sort shapes from it. He didn't learn A, B, and C from it. Plus there are a lot more letters in the alphabet, obviously. He didn't really learn anything from it, colors, nothing like that. He didn't use it in that way. He didn't really have any interest in it other than pulling it around and using it as a wagon. So why am I talking about this silly little wagon? Because people will buy it since it looks like it would be fun. And it looks like, if you read the description, that it's going to be helping your child to learn. And so because of all of that, it is marketed, labeled, and advertised as being educational and thus priced at 30 to $35. Meanwhile, if what you are looking for is a toy that will actually help your child shape sort, you could get a basic shape sorter for less than $10. You could get a slightly fancier wooden shape sorter for $15 or less. And then if you want your child to learn some letters, perhaps, what I would recommend over this wagon would be blocks that have letters on them. You can get that for anywhere between like five, ten, fifteen, twenty dollars, depending on the size, how many blocks there are, the company, things like that. But the most expensive option I saw was twenty dollars and the I guess on average it was like between ten and fifteen dollars. So now you can get your child or your grandchild, niece, nephew, whoever, you can get them two toys that have true developmental benefit for the same price or even less than you would get this silly wagon for that really does not have true developmental benefits and could potentially even have some negative effects for development if the lights and sounds are overwhelming for a child, it might, you know, instead of actually having a young, a young child listen to these noises and understand what they're saying, because they probably don't, they're really just occupying space in a way, if that makes sense. It's just like background noise. that It's just occupying them without an actual purpose, whereas the blocks, the children can see the actual letters, they can stack the blocks, do other things with them, the shape sorter, they can figure out how to manipulate the shapes and put them in the right spot. Usually shape sorters uh, come in various colors, so you could actually have some colors involved in the learning process there. And because both of these options, the blocks and the shape sorter, are completely low-tech, the odds are greater that an adult is going to play with the child 
and be speaking to the child during that playtime. So explaining what's happening or motivating them to manipulate the toy, saying the letter out loud, saying the color out loud, labeling different things, and that is huge for development. I've mentioned it multiple times in previous shows, and I'm saying it again right now, that parent participation during child play is key for child learning and development. And just like Deanna was saying in the beginning of this episode, when it comes to helping your child develop their speech language skills, labeling everything, speaking to your child is the best way to do that. So I hope that was some useful information. If you are starting to be stressed financially about the holidays and you're not sure what exactly to get your kids, you don't want to waste money, but you want it to be something they're going to enjoy, I'm telling you right now, my son, he's three now, he loves his blocks with letters on them. He loves to play with the blocks themselves as blocks, but he also likes to see what's on them and say the letters out loud now that he's starting to recognize letters. My blocks also have some numbers on them and some other pictures, so he likes to label what they all are. The shape sorters he's really enjoying now as well, and he does not even look at that wagon, like I said. So plus, if you're a stay-at-home mom and you're thinking about going back to work just for the financial component of it, because it's holiday season, you want to afford gifts for your child, perhaps you don't have to go to work if it's purely for that financial reason, because now you're hopefully starting to have this better picture of toys or games not needing to be so expensive in order for them to be what's best for your child. So if that's the only reason that you're thinking about working a little bit right now, I would encourage you to rethink the why as to why you are thinking about going back to work and then perhaps make some sort of a list as to, you know, what's motivating you to stay home versus what's motivating you to go to work and Hopefully that will help you come to the decision that is best for you and your family. And I'm going to wrap it up here for today. I hope you've enjoyed this past hour of Midweek Mom Talk on 360 Talk Radio for Women. If you want to continue these conversations, we talked today about speech therapy, about going to work and versus being a stay-at-home mom, and we just talked a little bit about toys and games for purchase that might be better options for the holiday season for gifting purposes. So if you want to continue any of these topics, if you have any questions, you can always reach out. You can send me an email at info, I-N-F-O, at motionspotllc.com. That's M-O-T-I-O-N-S-P-O-T-L-L-C.com. Or you can reach out on Instagram, motionspotllc is the handle. Or if it's a pediatric-related question, then you can also reach out to us on our pediatrics Instagram page, which is motionspotpediatrics. All right, that's all for today. I'm Dr. Jackie. I hope you tune in next week to another episode of Midweek Mom Talk on 360 Talk Radio for Women. Until then, bye-bye for now.